You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer and welcome to the Farmer's Kitchen podcast brought to you by Spinneys. An absolutely food-packed show and headlining none other than Chef Vikas Khanna. He is a chef, of course, an author, philanthropist, a filmmaker and a poet. And he was in the studio to talk about what he's been up to recently. No small feats of feeding India and writing a tribute to chai. We were discussing matcha, um, an interesting ingredient that I'm not a huge fan of. So could expert tea sommelier vets convince me otherwise? What goes into this superfood and how can we use it? Talking about culture of tipping as well, a new platform set up to make it even easier, even in our cashless society, the founders were in the studio, and getting you in the mood for Easter from chocolate eggs to legs of lamb. What happens behind the scenes to get these products to our shelves? It was new product development chef D joining us live to tell us exactly what happens behind the scenes. And keeping you hungry, tummies rumbling as we discuss burgers with Chef Ali from Slaw. And it was food writer and global traveller Pallavi Sanctani who was with us talking about some of the hottest supper clubs in town and what you need to do and eat this weekend. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. We know that chefs do not stop busy people. And my next one is an absolute shining example of that. Chef Vikas Khan is with us, internationally acclaimed Indian chef, award-winning author and poet and filmmaker. He's been the host of MasterChef India, been a guest on MasterChef Australia, Martha Stewart, Hell's Kitchen... Gordon Ramsay himself, named as top Indian chef in New York City on Kitchen Nightmares. He's written more than 25 cookbooks. There's a new one out. And he's also here in Dubai at Canara, which is at JA The Resort. And breathe. How are you, chef? Hi, hi. Good to be here. It's wonderful to have you back in Dubai. What's bringing you to our sandy shores this time? Oh, it was Ramadan and we also had to plan some great feast for Eid. Also Ooh. the upcoming menu and the launch of the new book. So tell us a little bit about the menu at Canara. For anyone who hasn't been lucky enough to go, how do you explain and describe the cuisine? I feel it's comfort food from India, very inspired from home cooking and the streets. But also we are giving, the dining room looks very comfortable. It looks like it's an extension of your dining room. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like to do with the restaurants, that people should feel at home and not intimidated by the service or anything. I just wanted to make something which is an extension of their family. I think that's a really bold move in in a world where we think about Michelin restaurants being these kind of, you know, sterile environments. And you said this yourself, you know, you thought you'd you know, have to be a, a white restaurant to get a Michelin star in New York and you turned that on its head. You know, I remember when I, when, of course, the obsession of Michelin, we're talking about reading about Michelin guides in 1990s in school, where there was no Indian Michelin star chef. So I always felt that why a restaurant needs to be stuffy? Why can't it touch your soul? And why can't it be the real cooking? You know, of course, everybody's doing real cooking in their own version. But I felt that the Indian food had so much of sophistication, intricacies, details, that why do we need to camouflage that with Frenchified words and everything? Mm-hmm. So at Kinara, we said, let's work with the presentation. Let's add textures to it and clean, bold flavors the way Indian food is. Make us hungry. If we're going to go over the weekend, what do you think we should order? You have to try my Dainke kebab. It's a yogurt kebab, which rarely people feel how? that. How is it <laughs> You're possible? You're a scientist. No, it's not science. It's just, it's a very common dish in India. So I had this dish first in Bhopal and also in Varanasi, which is my second favorite city in India after my hometown. And what they do is they take yogurt, they use hung yogurt, 
They add a lot of spices, chilies, and sometimes onions to it. And then they actually pan sear it. So it's gooey from the inside and it has a beautiful crust or semolina or rice flour or something on the top. But here what we do is that, you know, we do, uh, we make our labne we use and we add a lot of flavors to it. And then we roll that labne in like a roll with uh, kanafa. And then you fry it. And so you have the melty yogurt in the bottom and then you have this crust on the top. Texture as well. Okay, job done. Tell us then (laughs) about the new cookbook. As I said, you've written... Tens of cookbooks, but the new one is out. It's called Back to Our Roots. It's about recipes from a holistic kitchen. What does that mean to you? So I remember we were at Kinara and I met Flavel, who is an amazing, iconic publisher here. And he had a meeting with me and says, what has changed over the years? I said, you know, what truly has changed is during this pandemic, our, we have shifted our, our senses to something which is always comfort. We've been to living in discomfort and isolation, we need something which connects us back to our roots. And that is where Flavil said, I've got the title of the book. I'm like, (laughs) okay. So, but I feel that, you know, for the last two years, a little less than that, I was taking care of my sister and she had become vegetarian. And I was constantly exploring vegetarian cooking. And most of the dinners I hosted during the pandemic in my house were all vegetarian because a lot of Indians felt that when they were growing up, Back home, they, most of the foods were vegetarian. Most of our grandparents were vegetarian. Majority of our parents were also vegetarian. So our home cooking was, except for Sunday lunches, we only eat vegetarian at home. I said, oh, that's something which is giving us comfort, figuring out back to our roots. And most of the Indian food is based on a large principle of science, which is called Ayurveda. I incorporated that in the cooking and we said, let's go back to finding a way which is like a balance which connects body, soul, and mind. And I'm not saying just truffles and caviars. And <laughs> those those are, of course, part of a, a new new dining experience. But back to our roots, I said, let's do comfort food where post-pandemic people feel that they they're connecting to community more than just on that plate and that morsel of food. And connecting with themselves as well, with Absolutely. our health and listening to our bodies, which I think everyone's been a bit more tuned in to than, than ever before. Absolutely. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live in the studio is superstar chef, author, filmmaker, philanthropist, Vekas Khan. He is with us to talk a little bit about what's been happening here in Dubai, but also in his native India as well. And chef, you started an incredible initiative called Feed India during the pandemic. Can you tell us why you chose to start it and what work it's been doing since to this day? We've served more than 65 million meals. Wow. And about uh, 2 million sanitary pads, uh, more than uh, 100,000 slippers. And I don't know how much fruits and water bottles. And So it started with a spam email which came to me in New York. And we talked about that, you know, during this pandemic, a lot of old age homes and orphanages will be affected because they're based on daily donations. Mm-hmm. And many people are not traveling because this country was under lockdown. It just broke my heart because I could understand because I'm a part of many organizations. And we said, let's put our resources together and uh, find a way to get grains and food back home to these places. And on 11th April, I remember, we totally failed. Somebody, like, you know, cheated us and we lost a whole big truck of grains. It just got lost from go down to reaching an old age home. 
and i told my mom mom i'm so sorry i can't do this i think my mom was watching something on television which was heartbreaking understanding the migrant workers and mm-hmm. what was happening in the country like throughout the world actually and my mom said you know everything you do is a subtotal of india's culture and she said that you what you've been selling for the last so many decades and your success we've celebrated we've cried when you failed and she said the first time india needs you and you say you can't do it she saying don't worry i'm never going to i'm never going to ask you for to do anything for india again i was like mom you have no idea how difficult it is she saying it's difficult but remember giving up has never been the choice of your life and as you say continuing to this day yeah, helping saying, you know widows those who've been in isolation older families as well absolutely incredible I've just got goosebumps I'm so you know you really are an absolute credit to your country you truly truly are and um, you've also been paying homage to chai recently with absolutely. a with Always. a poem and even a video why why chai chai is something which unites india in in like the ways that people will never understand you know in the, i live in new york and in the western culture we don't have anything which connects us like that You go to anyone's house, it's chai. You go to a temple, this first feed you chai. You go to a shopkeeper somewhere, it's chai. You're exhausted, you need chai. So I say, chai is one thing which connects the richest to the most, like I wouldn't say poorest, because most I think humble. most humble. And because I feel that poverty is not based on wealth, you could be the richest man and still be so poor. And I feel that you know, chai is something which drives the whole nation towards a uniformed way. It breaks the boundaries of religion, caste, color, creed, everything. That little little thing that with that humility serves humility. It has so many dreams. And, you know, our prime minister used to sell chai. So you know, I say the chai has infinite dreams, and it's a beautiful poetry which had, <laughs> which just this. came to me because everybody keeps talking about chai in the country, but it's much more than a drink. it's it's more of an emotion for most of us it's the lifeblood it sounds yeah. like you've made a beautiful beautiful tribute you've got lots of lovely messages saying one of my favorite chefs sanjay says you had me at dahi kebabs with kanafa uh, <sighs> chef are you going to be cooking at kanaro of the next- course oh, good i'll okay. be there every single evening Thank trying you. to make sure that if there's a mistake and you can hit me or if something is great <laughs> you can you can treat my staff to a big applause good chef vikas kana thank you so so much you can find kanara at ja the resort in jabalali um just the most beautiful restaurant such a wonderful soul and truly a reflection of you chef so thank you so much for being with us today you're listening to farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 helen farmer with you live until 5 talking food and loving your messages of the food you love and the food you hate and for Full confession we're talking about matcha now this is isn't the latest fad or coffee replacement it, it is a bit of a trendy drink that LA types drink by the gallon but it does actually date back nearly a thousand years to a time when dynasties ruled China and it might be on my hate list let's see if uh, this next guest can convince me otherwise Vet Arizala is the woman in the know she's a founder of Vet Teas and a certified tea sommelier tea blender and a special member of the World Green Tea Association in Japan here to tell us about what matcha is its benefits and how to know if you're drinking a good batch of matcha. Avat, how are you? I'm good. I <laughs> you made me smile as soon as you told me you're not a fan of I'm matcha. Not. I should have 
I wish I could bring you and we make it together and then we can do a bit of a taste test. You know, well, that would be the best way to do it. Maybe I've just had I've just had some bad experiences. So yeah. you're here to convince me and any other skeptics. I've had a matcha Kit Kat, by the way, because, you know, Japanese love oh, doing some crazy right. flavors of Kit Kats. That worked. Right. I'll take a matcha Kit Kat. So I think I think I think we need to go back to basics and kind of educate me and everyone else about what matcha is. Can you explain what yeah, it is as, sure. as an ingredient? So, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, uh, matcha has been around for thousands of years and uh, it's gained a lot of popularity in the West, uh, especially in the food and the beverage world. Um, But it started way back in China, I believe, in the Tang Dynasty. Um, They started the method of making powdered tea. And and that's what matcha is. It's, It's basically whole green tea leaves that's been pulverized and rounded into fine powder. Um, but, you know, this does not mean that all green tea powder is mm. matcha. Uh, for, you know, for the green tea to be uh, used for matcha, it has to be grown and produced uh, and cared for in a certain way. And, uh, for example, the plantation needs to be purposely covered with a special net or canopy shading. Uh, so imagine like a temporary roof over the plantation. So they do this for about three to four weeks to block um, sunlight uh, before it's harvested. And so what that does to the plant is it, it, it freaks out and stresses the plant basically and allows it to, to produce um, really high amounts of chlorophyll mm-hmm. and uh, this amino acid called L-theanine. And giving that plant that deep emerald uh, bright green color, making it taste a lot more sweeter and delicate and, you know, giving that more umami and less bitter taste. Because it um, it's so distinctive yeah. looking, you know, we see, we've seen it used in so many things recently. It has become a, a bit of a kind of a go-to and everything from, I mean, I've seen it in, you know, creme brulees and obviously lots of right. drink combinations. So it, it looks very distinctive. But can you explain the taste? You're saying there the way it's it's cultivated and grown lends itself this kind of sweeter, use the word umami there. Um, can you explain the taste for anyone who's never had matcha? So, oh, wow. And that, this is where the love or hate comes from, really. <laughs> I mean, th- there is no sugar coating because matcha is basically a concentrated chlorophyll at the end of the day. But uh, there is definitely a distinct uh, taste between quality good matcha and, and lower grade matcha. And I, unfortunately, I think this is what most of people have experienced in the market, unfortunately, is the lower grade matcha. So, so good quality matcha uh, you know, it can be quite vegetal, it could be grassy, but also there's a certain sweetness and umami to it. And it could actually be creamy um, mm-hmm. because you're using very fine powder like baby powder. But uh, a poor lower grade quality matcha can be very astringent, uh, very coarse and chalky uh, in the texture. And it could also be quite bitter because they're using bigger leaves uh, uh, and the harvest season that they're picking tea leaves from are from summer and autumn. So the, the tea leaves are coarser and bigger. So you're not going to get that really fine type of, of powder, if you will. It, so this all affects the color and the texture and the taste. So I, I think it, it's really worth trying a really high quality matcha to really make that fair statement. Yeah, before, before I put it on my naughty list of that. Right. Um, you, you're talking there about some of the qualities it has. Why is it considered to be a superfood? You know, what what kind of health benefits has have been proven? Yeah, see, with matcha, you're consuming the entire tea leaves, right? So it's basically like a concentrated 
powder instead of just brewing something with mm-hmm. hot water and tea leaves. So it, it's packed with chlorophyll, it's making it um, super alkalizing, and it's basically a nutritional powerhouse. It has high, ant- high antioxidants, uh, polyphenols, and catechins, and also rich in vitamins like A, uh, C, E, and K, I'm trying to remember. Um, antioxidants, as you know, are the ones that help fight the free radicals, and catechins are basically the ones that increase our body's ability to burn calories, and that's why uh, matcha is known for that you know, to speed metabolism and that weight loss. Mm. Um, but it, because it's also high in chlorophyll, it's also known to detox, alkalize, um, you know, give that, uh, fight that skin aging and uh, inflammation as well. Um, okay, right. With, I'm yeah. tempted. I'm now tempted. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Spilling the tea this afternoon is Yvette Arizala. She is the woman in the know when it comes to all things matcha. The founder of Yvette Teas. She's a certified tea sommelier and tea blender. And we're talking matcha this afternoon. Um, it hasn't appeared on any hate list or any love lists, I have to say, that have come in on the text line, Yvette. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, we've had one question about how to integrate it into food. Desserts in particular, as I said, I've seen it in everything from souffles, creme brulees, cakes as well. Is it a different matcha you use for drinking as supposed to is an ingredient for cooking uh, yeah that's, that's absolutely right because it's powder it's, it's very flexible um so usually for food we recommend culinary grade matcha um so it's it's not your fine grade that you would use in traditional tea ceremony um but you can pretty much do anything with it from baking um you know making i don't know matcha green tea swirl bread to matcha cookies pancakes, chia puddings, muffins. Uh, we do a lot of panna cotta, even matcha tiramisu, <laughs> matcha ice cream. I mean, the Whoa. list goes on. Uh, and what about you know, what about drinking yeah. it away from the traditional, you know, matcha tea? Right. What about, a, you know, a refreshing drink or something yeah. that's kind of good for uh, summer? Got it. Yeah. So if you don't have the traditional teaware, because that could be a bit intimidating for some who are just starting out, uh, I like to do this jar shaken method. So if you have a an old, uh, I don't know, any mason jar, if you will, for example, you just put like a teaspoon of matcha in it. And I like to pour about a cup of coconut water, cold, or, and then you can add ice. And all you do is shake, just shake the um, mason jar really, really fast and everything gets well mixed and integrated and pour over a nice glass and it, it's super alkalizing it's just a nice way to you know get all the nutrients but it still has that sweetness from the coconut water um or you can also sprinkle some um, coconut or i mean not coconut i'm sorry uh what's the word um, lemon juice for you can squeeze some lemon juice or you can add, add a tablespoon of passion fruit um so that's nice and easy you don't need any of the chawan or chasaku or you know chasin or any of that you just use a um a draw shaken method style. Can I, uh, can I ask or, about yeah. some of the traditional styles? And you're talking there about, yeah. you know, the the tea ceremony, which we, we know we know is incredibly sacred in, in certain parts of the world and specific countries as well. Right. Do you do any tastings or workshops? You know, kind of that yeah. kind of experience. Yeah. So we do we do do uh, matcha workshops, and we do uh, you know showcase different matcha quality grades, so people are aware. Uh, as far as buying tips or selection, we also do a demo and showcase how to make matcha, whether or not you have the traditional teaware. Uh, the tea ceremony is actually a, a very beautiful sort of a, a mindful way of enjoying the serving and preparation of matcha. And we also work collaboratively and closely with Orsanka Tea School, 
that do a lot of tea ceremony. In fact, there's an upcoming event uh, that we're working on uh, in June, but it's still very early. <laughs> but we'll definitely pass that on uh, as far as getting the public more involved and have them experience a full-on Japanese uh, tea ceremony. Um, but I can't let you go without sharing your food heaven and hell, your loves and your hates. I'm guessing match is going to be on the on the good list. Um, what, <laughs> what is it for you? Um, you know, I, I'm a big foodie myself. I love food and spices and pretty much everything. I love things with avocado. I love cheese. I love <laughs> I love matcha, of course. Um, as far as hate, I wouldn't say I I, I hate anything. I I don't probably pickled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Just because it's it's just so different, and I just don't understand what. Do you know what? what There's um in in my local growing up, they used to have a jar of pickled eggs, and people would buy this. Is this is so disgusting. People would buy a packet of crisps, open it, scrunch up the crisps so they became crumbs, and then drop a pickled egg in and pick them out so it was covered in crisp crumbs. This is very much late night food. I will leave it there. Vet, thank you so much for for anyone wants to follow you, check out tea tastings and any recommendations and recipes. What's the best way of getting in touch? Great. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Um, how can we contact you? Um, I'm on Instagram at Yvette Tees. And so we always post our activities and events there. And a lot, all kinds of tea tips, uh, tea knowledge, tea events are also going to be posted there. Well, you've convinced me to give them another try. So your work here <laughs> is done. I'll send you a sample. Please I'll do. I'll definitely send you. The good and stuff. And then that way you would love to hear your feedback. <laughs> Thanks, Yvette. Take care. <laughs> Talking tea. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're talking tipping this afternoon and me coming from the UK, I remember going to the States and being quite taken aback by the tipping culture. And I think there's so many different cultural variations, nationality variations. So what about you here in Dubai? Who do you tip? Is it petrol attendants, salons, the guy that might help you, you know, take your spinny shopping to your car? Let me know. Um, or indeed, is this something that it does not come naturally to you and you're trying to get your head around it? Because joining us in the studio now are Mike and Dan there from e- eTips. This is a digital tipping platform that gives you the chance to tip staff in a completely new way. And they're joining us live to tell us a little bit more. Mike, great to have you with us. Um, can I ask you a, a kind of a, a question from the outset? Why have you chosen Dubai to, to open this up as a, as a platform? What, what do you think this is a bit of a unique place in the world? Thanks for the invitation. I think Dubai is an amazing place because F&B is uh, really growing up here. I think in Dubai it's around 20,000 restaurants and this number increase. We can see a lot of tourists coming here, enjoying the food, enjoying the places. And I think that it has high potential. So I think the number of venues, <laughs> that was the... It's staggering how many. I think we had like a record number of, of cafes and restaurants opening. And uh, in, I think it was Q4 last year. It was like a thousand opening in a matter of months. Yeah, and it grows like five percent. So it has high potential. So then let's ask you, um, Dan, what is the platform? How does it work? Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so um, we give the special QR codes to the restaurants and they can put them on the receipts on their, or they can have the special cards for each waiter. So when a customer scans this QR code, he can give a tip and rate the waiter. So the oh, It's rating as well. Yeah, it's rating as well. Interesting. So, so the owner of the restaurant will know who performs better mm-hmm. and can react if something goes bad. For mm-hmm. example, you had a, I don't know, cold coffee. And, well, you're not in the mood to talk, to tell about it. So you can scan, say it, and most likely they will catch you and give you something <laughs> and help you. So 
that's think, what works. I think that the timing of this is really interesting, Mike, just because when we think about the cashless culture over the last couple of years, I used to carry cash quite a bit, you know, small notes, bigger notes, and it'd be, you know, paying for my petrol, you know, popping into the shops, whatever. I think I've honestly had the same 20 dirham note in my purse for about three weeks now. And I'm curious about what impact you think the pandemic has had on the way we tip and interact with, you know, service staff, as I said, you know, attendants, even, you know, hairdressers, you know, the the people who are there to make our lives easier and better. Do we feel like they might have been suffering as a result of lower tips during the last couple of years? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, COVID dramatically changed uh, this industry and everybody pays everything using their Apple Pay, Google Pay or via credit cards. So waiters, they don't receive so much tips nowadays. I mean, as we don't carry cash anymore. And that's why we decided to bring the solution. It's really simple. You just scan this QR code and only with two clicks, you can pay the waiter. And the thing is, like, according to our statistics, this app, like, increase the number of by 30%. That was, that's what I was going to ask you, the, the kind of the psychology of tipping, because if I look in my purse and I've only got 20 dirhams, I'm kind of maybe thinking ahead about what I might spend that on. But if it's a case of, as you say, kind of scanning a QR code, picking a number, is there a choice or could you put in any number you like? Do you give options? So there are uh, several options. First of all, you can like uh, say 10, 15% from the bill. So we get the number of check. Other option, you can like give as much as you want. So we have no limit. Like largest tip was honestly 1,000 dirham. And we're <gasps> quite surprised about that. 1,000 dirham tip? Yeah. Whoa, how big was the bill? I don't know. <laughs> how interesting. Oh, let us know the, the, the best service you've had and how much you've tipped 4001. That's significant. But I do think I'd be more inclined to tip more generously because you've got that emotional distance really it becomes a bit more abstract if you're not physically picking up 5 10 20 dirhams and putting it on a tray if you're literally just doing a little drop down selecting a number that that's fascinating and how how have people responded where are, where are you now and, and what's the kind of pickup been like uh, we're in 20 restaurants right now in Dubai. You can go to Lucky Fish, you can go to Garth Restaurant, you can go to Parlour in DFC, so you can enjoy this experience. And saying about the personal connection, the thing is that the waiter, they see the feedback. For example, if you like the service, not all of people say it was good, I enjoyed your place and mm-hmm. so on, but here you can write a review and you can give feedback to each waiter and they will see it. And it really motivates people. What then about the logistics of making sure your tip goes to the right person? Because that's something that I know when I um, you know, have worked in the service industry before, there was always a lot of mystery about, you know, do the tips go to a central pot? Does that tip go to a specific waiter? What do we know about what happens behind the scenes and making sure that people get the deserve, deserve the money that they get? They do get the money, but it really depends on the restaurant. How do they do it? Some restaurants have the point system where they like rate each waiter and give him tips depending on the amount of point he earned. Some, um, well, most of them mixed. So it it rarely comes to a point where a person can give like 100% tip and it gets directly to the waiter. But what we help with, we help to show who exactly got mm. this tip. So now the manager can see like in this box how much was what put in by this particular man. And this is, um, and this helps to, to find out, yeah. Bit more quantifiable. 
You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Talking tipping this afternoon, we have got the co-founders of a new platform here to Dubai joining us live in the studio, eTips. It's a simple case of scanning the QR code when you are there at that restaurant, that cafe, and then rating the service and tipping accordingly. So you're saying if had a thousand dirhams been the maximum tip, does anyone tip zero just to make a point, Mike? <laughs> Not really, but we had an option when you can just rate the service and it becomes really popular nowadays because if you don't like to tip, actually you can provide with feedback to the waiter. It will be really important. Mm-hmm. Also, we had an option to tip the chefs and to tip the kitchen. Actually, it's a new campaign which we launched, I think, one week ago with a company who works with uh, restaurants who deliver and we thought it would be an amazing idea if you can tip the delivery, not only delivery, but when you can tip the chefs. And this is something I've really liked seeing actually over the course of the pandemic is more delivery companies offering that option to to tip drivers because, you know, as I said, not many of us are carrying cash nowadays. So it's great if you can just, you know, add it onto your order. Message here from Zen saying always tip 10% cash. Um, So great to hear you can do this if you don't have any cash on you. I try to keep it for restaurants, um, but I often have to uh, have to resort to leaving nothing, which makes me feel awful. So that's an interesting point. This could be could be a bit of a game changer. When I think about kind of the people I interact with in the world and who I tip down, I think, yes, petrol attendants, 100%. It always, always about that in the salons as well. And uh, where else do I tip? Hmm. Definitely restaurants and cafes. So the minute you are in those eateries, are you looking to get into other industries and areas as well? Yeah, we're looking to get into salons, into beauty, um, for nails, for hair, uh, all of those, um, into gas stations, into car washes, into repairs. Basically, all the service people who help us, but get not as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that's really important to express gratitude to them and um, and help them because um, because they need it. Yeah. Can I, do we know anything about the history of tipping? Do we know where this is actually started from? And, you know, I said earlier that you know America's got a really big kind of tipping culture, and traditionally that's because they've had a very low basic salary in those service industries. Do we know where it originated, Mike? I think it started from UK. It was in 17th century when people wanted to graduate the service. And I think tips became really popular in 1920th century. And first of all, people wanted to show off that they have money. <laughs> <laughs> this was a fair reason. <laughs> but I think time changed and now it's a like good thing to give gratitude to people who want to provide the best service to us. I think often we underestimate the impact that a service staff member can have on a meal. You can have the most beautiful food in the whole wide world, but if you've got someone who's, you know, slamming plates around and, you know, looking sullen or, you know, that's what you remember. You come away thinking the food was great, but that atmosphere was really, really challenging. So this is a way of giving some credit where credit's due, both financially, but also with their boss as well. That must be meaningful. Have you, what's the feedback been like from service members? Yeah, that's true. It's, like, it's a really funny thing in the United States. What do they say? The much tip you will give, the better service you will get next time. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So if you're like a regular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of, uh, you know, I'm gonna, you're going to treat me well, I will treat you well. Now we're best friends and everyone is winning. Um, a question saying, do you need to register for this? So can you tell us a little bit about that, Dan? It's really just a case of when you go to an eatery, it's a case of scanning a QR code. It's not an app that you need to download or anything like that. Yeah, it's one button. You just scan, push, and it's done. There you go. Guys, thank you so much for your time today. Really interesting and interested to see it popping up all over the UAE. So we're thinking what world domination now, Mike? Uh, We want to expand in Mena. 
we want to start with Dubai, Abu Dhabi, then to go to Saudi, Egypt, and I think it will work. <laughs> Keep us posted, and if you are a place out there that'd be interested in speaking to the guys about having it in your place, let us know. You can message me on 4001. I'd be very, very happy to connect you. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking food today, of course, on Farmer's Kitchen, and delighted to be joined now by Karen Lassie, the deputy editor at Spinney's there at Nourish Magazine. And we're talking, I mean... <sighs> It's a, it's a big shout, but I think cherries might be my favorite fruit, Karen. What about you? Definitely. I love cherries. I mean, I can eat a whole bowl full by myself. <laughs> me, me too. And it's an indulgence, but they're absolutely packed with vitamins and nutrients. And you've got some very special ones in store, which actually popped up on my Instagram yesterday. And I was like, glamour cherries. What makes them so glamorous? Which is why you're here to explain why this is... Such a big deal because you have ex- secured the exclusive uh, retail rights for Glamour Cherries. What are they and where are they from? Okay, so uh, Glamour Cherries are grown in Lida, Spain. And uh, they, they are called the Ferrari of the cherry world. Oh. Because they are the only cherries available anywhere in the world from the second week of March to the third, third week of April. Um, so we have secured exclusive rights to sell these cherries in the UAE and um, they are bright and sweet and juicy um, yeah and uh, they're grown in greenhouses so yeah they are no, very special and like I mentioned earlier they're the only cherries available anywhere in the world at this uh, at this particular time of the year please forgive my ignorance but when is normal cherry season well, this is particularly early I'm guessing this is uh, like super early. So most cherries come into season um, in early May. So this is at least like six weeks before any of those. Okay, right. Well, listen, I'm always happy to have cherries on shelves. Um, but tell us a little, a little bit about the growing then. You said they're grown in greenhouses. Is that, is that not the norm either? No, you, cherries are usually grown um, in open fields. Um, and the growers decided to um, try growing in greenhouses because so these guys were based in Spain and then they heard of um, their counterparts around the world and particularly in the U.S. and France um, about they, were, they heard about trials uh, and um, those those producers were trying to grow cherries in greenhouses. So they decided to jump onto the bandwagon and uh, grow cherries themselves in greenhouses. So they set up very rudimentary greenhouses, and um, I think they must have harvested around 10 cherries in the first trial. And um, they were really sour and not very nice to eat. But they didn't give up. Um, They carried on trying for the next few years. And finally, in 2004, they had some success. Um, So they decided to expand and uh, it took them around six years to actually start producing really good quantities and really sweet cherries. So in 2010, they patented the production of greenhouse, uh, for cherries grown in greenhouses. And uh, the trials that were taking place in other parts of the world had failed. So uh, these growers in Spain um, are the only ones to uh, grow cherries in greenhouses. This is a big deal, by the way. When you when you do Google glamour cherries, there's news articles from all over the world saying, you know, glamour cherry season has started. They're now being distributed to the UK and all over Europe, and of course here now in Dubai. So it's on. Um, in terms of looks, how do you describe them? Are they quite light and bright in colour, or that kind of dark, kind of? You well, know- it um, it does vary. Some of them can be um, quite light. In terms of they're a brighter red, but uh, at other times they can be quite dark. 
but uh, overall they are really they're really juicy and they have a crisp bite um yeah so and they were and they have a very shiny skin as well i was going to ask if you've got any recipe ideas for them but i think that would almost be a bit of a waste to be honest these ones are really just to be to be enjoyed i mean yeah just eat them as they are but um since we're going into summer i would say a cherry granita would be a great idea and we do have um, a cherry granita recipe on spinnies.com now there's no getting away from it. They're, they're not cheap. Um, this is this cherries are my kind of payday indulgence, to be honest. What is it? What, what yeah. is it that warrants that price tag? Um, they're, they're exclusivity. I mean, they're the only cherries available anywhere in the world at um, at this time of the year. So um, yeah, that's why they they are they are more expensive than usual cherries, but uh, they are worth it. When you want them, you want them. Now you're also offering something very special in the form of of a holiday, a trip to Spain. Tell us more about that. So um, if our customers go into store and spend at least 80 dirhams on glamour cherries, they do stand a chance to win a trip to um, Barcelona in Spain, and they'll be hosted by Rio Finca, who is the producer that we work with to get glamour cherries into the UAE. So it's very easy, spend 80 dirhams, um, uh, and just upload your details onto the website, all the, the... the competition mechanics are in store on various points of sale. And now I want some cherries. Your work here is done, Karen. Thank you so, so much for your <laughs> Thank time. Thank you so much. What are your eating, going out plans, cooking plans over the weekend? Have you got anything sorted? Um, I, will, I usually end up baking on Saturday and Sunday and I bring everything into the office on Monday. Oh, so, um, that's so I haven't really decided yet, but... Um, I'm thinking Simnel brownies again because that recipe is fantastic. And it's also in um, our latest issue of Nourish magazine. There you go. Thank you so much. Feel free to drop Thank some brownies you. off to uh, Dubai Eye Towers. It would be Definitely. Ha- happy to offer you some, some, <laughs> some feedback. Thanks, Alan. Have a great right. weekend. Take care. Bye you now. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're talking burgers. They have appeared a few times on your food heaven list that you're sending in. And I can tell you not one single person said you don't like a burger. Let me know the food you love and the food you hate. Homegrown burgers today. In fact, Slaw is Dubai's award-winning indie burger joint and they've got the founder and chef Ali Yatsi joining us live on the line now. Ali, how are you? Happy Friday. Hi, how are you? I'm hungry. I'm hungry, chef. I'm really hungry because I've been looking at your menu and on Friday afternoons, you know, you start to think about we're going to order in tonight, we're going to swing by the supermarket on the way home, are we going to eat out and now all I want is a burger. Tell us about Slaw, why and when you started it. What makes it different? Well, uh, we started slow by the uh, start of 2020. The plan and the idea was grown up between me and my friend, Mohammed al Habur. We sit together and we brainstorm to create a burger joint, since both of us are in love with burgers. So we decided uh, to bring a burger. So you name it, we got it. We have chicken, we have beef, we have fish, and we have a mushroom for the vegetarians. And yeah, that's all the idea got created during the pandemic. And it was hard, but we made it happen. What made it so challenging during this last couple of years? Because we did see people, of course, perhaps scaling back on the eating out, but delivering in. What were some of the challenges you, st- you faced as a new business? Uh, the, new, the challenges we faced as a new business was like, uh, you know, it was hard for people coming out. They were really scared to dine out, but like we may be controlled by like following the safety protocols uh, and making sure everything is clean and healthy. 
for the customers to enjoy the meal. Now, please forgive me, but there are a lot of burger places in Dubai. It's it's not exactly a uh, an underserviced cuisine. Do you think yours is special in some way, or is there a unique flavor or anything that you think sets slow apart, Ali? Well, uh, for slow, basically, we focus on using the highest quality and uh, of ingredients, basically the market. I personally check every day, uh, since I'm a chef, I personally check the quality every single day. I eat a small piece of chicken, a small piece of meat every single day just to make sure the quality is maintained. Mm-hmm. Uh, we source our products from all over the world, from U.S., we source from uh, Cuba, Mexico, uh, India, from all over, like our rubs, spices, to make sure always we follow the highest standards. That's what makes us unique. We are offering fish sandals, we are offering mushroom sandals, like, you know, like with the unique flavors, with the unique spices. So we make sure, uh, with the generous portions as well, too, like a huge, big chunk of a chicken breast in our sandals, like, you know, we are generous with our portion. I believe that keeps us success. Now, um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm totally going to. Do you have a favorite burger on the menu? This is your chance to make tummies rumble across the Dubai. Uh, well, I love chicken sando. It's chicken sando, a Nashville one. It's really spicy with a nice kick. We use fresh chicken breasts, locally, local like chickens, uh, which are corn fed, which are like antibiotic free. And then we use our special with our special sauce, which is called Oye. It's an first expression of someone, so we can name it our Oya sauce. <laughs> yeah, our sauce is our sauce. Like for our beef burger, we have a sauce called Olala. So when you eat it, and you're going to say Olala <laughs> for this, uh, the sauce name, uh, with the homemade pickles as well. Oh, homemade love, a, pickles. love a pickle. Now, it is, of course, the holy month of Ramadan. I haven't had any burger iftars, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't. Are you doing anything special for the holy month? Yes, we do. We are have we have launched a monthly special, which is a lamb burger, mm-hmm. uh, which is made with a local lamb uh, with some date sauce, date mayo, uh, with using a date paste, a local made date paste. We have a vimto drink as well, pairing it as like this drink is like very like uh, hooked up with the uh, Ramadan culture, and as well as a lamb fries. So we made a complete feast for Ramadan, which is really loved. I think there's an awful lot to be said for doing something like, you know, a limited menu, but doing it really, really well. I went out for pizza last night. I think, I don't know when it opened, maybe late last year. Um, it's called Blue Pizzeria, B-L-U. And they only, I think, only had like five pizzas on the menu, but it was it was exceptional. Really, really good. Sourdough pizza in the Emsakim Fishing Village. That's my recommendation on the pizza front at the minute. Loved it. Um would you think then about opening up into doing different cuisines or different dishes, or are you very much kind of burger-focused right now and wanting to make sure you're doing the best you possibly can as a chef? Well, at the moment, uh, we are focusing on uh, burgers, but uh, we are having some surprises starting off 2023. We have some very big surprise coming up alongside. Oh, come on. Come on. Give us a, <laughs> is it, is it going to be burger-related, or what's the deal? Um, well, it's going to be a pizza-related. For oh, the first time I'm saying it, yeah. <laughs> you're throwing your hat into the pizza ring, are you, Chef Ali? All right, we're going to have to talk about that when you decide to launch. Um, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, a message here saying, love slaw. So there you go, uh, which is always nice to hear. You've, we've won a um, few rewards as well. You've got highly commended at the What's On, best casual dining at BBC Good Food. Um, where are you located for anyone that hasn't tried you yet? Uh, they're located at two spots at the moment. They're located at uh, Jumeirah 1. 
and they are located at uh, Hessa Street, which is in Albarsha. Uh, we opened recently, uh, a month ago, and last month was our anniversary as well, which we completed our one year, our first year. Well, congratulations. Any plans Thank for any so more much. branches or not? Yes, do. we do. We'll be opening soon. Uh, inshallah, after Ramadan, we are opening our third branch in Dubai, uh, which is going to be in last exit. Uh, last exit Khawanij, and they're opening uh, another one in Abu Dhabi uh, by this year, by end of this year, they're opening Slow in Abu Dhabi. And for the first time ever, we are franchising Slow to India. We'll be opening in Delhi by this year. Well, hopefully. huge congratulations. It's wonderful to hear some positive stories coming out of a really challenging couple of years for the food industry. Um, you're at House of Slaw on Instagram. They want to check out your food, as you said. My mouth's watering looking at your Instagram, by the way. Loaded fries, that Ramadan menu, and so much more. Ali, huge congrats. Great to hear from you. Keep us posted on everything else, um, because if you do pizza as well as you do burgers, it's definitely going to be one to watch. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are, of course, talking food this afternoon, getting you in the mood for the weekend, whether you're going out and about or cooking at home. And I think it's really interesting to think about how the products we find on our shelves actually come to be there, whether it's learning more about the producers and the farmers or the individuals who actually create them. And we're speaking right now to one of those talented people. Dima Hamati is a new product development chef with Spinneys and is talking to us today a little bit about what we can expect from the fantastic Easter offering. Dima, thank you for being with us. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Now, a super basic question. What does actually go on behind the scenes to create dishes and, and products? That, From your point of view, where does the process start? That's a good question, actually. Something that I have somewhat recently learned myself. <laughs> so basically, uh, it starts with the commercial team usually. The commercial team are the people who kind of decide, you know, what is needed in the supermarkets and what goes on the shelves. So they will um, essentially make a brief for us, our team, uh, and then we will communicate with them about what needs to be done. And then uh, from there, I will go on to develop a series of recipes. Usually what I'll do is per brief, I'll try to develop two separate recipes. And then whichever one I feel personally is working better, I'll start sort of honing in on that one and then doing multiple trials of that. From there, we approve, let's say, one recipe. Then we have to communicate with the factory about how they will Mm. go on to develop that recipe and how they'll bulk it up. Because obviously I'll be developing something in my kitchen for maybe 10 people, but then... You've got to you know, think the factory about scaling it. Thousands of people, yeah. That, uh, so then they'll send those back to us and we'll just keep going like that. That's so interesting. Now, I want to go back to the testing stage. <laughs> because presumably everyone at Spinney's HQ, uh, you know, has got a bit of a perk of the job and there's kitchens around and popping in and seeing what's going on. Whose opinion really matters to you when it comes to the tasting and the testing, Dima? Um, well, I mean, definitely my manager, mm-hmm. but also, you know, whoever sent us the brief. At the end of the day, that person who's in charge of that department is the person that will eventually approve it. So that person needs to really be on board with what I'm doing. And so far, so good. I'm so, so happy to kind of find out a little bit more about what happens. And this is a really exciting kind of chapter of recipes I suppose because it's so celebratory Easter is around the corner and this is a a chance to I guess have some fun with some of the some of the recipes and products but also you know some are quite traditional as well would it be okay if we kind of started savory with some of the new products with that kind of Easter slant I'm guessing some lamb must be on the menu somewhere of course yeah definitely (laughs) yeah so we do have a lamb um 
we have a really lovely sort of large leg of lamb. It's a Herbe Dijon roast. Um, and Hang it's on. got plenty of I think I fresh saw herbs. It. I, I, you think you've watched I think I saw it on the shelves yesterday. This is what, and I also saw the cheese Easter egg, and I was like, "Take all my money, <laughs> Spinnies! Take my." But it's, it's it's a big leg of lamb and bright green, really vibrant herbs. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it's on the bone, so it's very impressive looking. Um, and really, essentially, all you need to do is take it out of the, the packaging and put it in the oven. It's so convenient. Um, but it has plenty of fresh ingredients. It's very, very springy. So we've got, you know, fresh rosemary, fresh parsley, coriander, uh, that's the color on the outside. And it's also got tangy capers in it as well for a bit of acidity um, from the brine of the capers. And it's also got mustard in it. So it really cuts the fat of the lamb. So whether you like lamb or you're not a huge fan, it's one for everyone. And you've done all the hard work of balancing the flavors and things as well. So thank you. Yes, because I'm not a huge fan of lamb. So that's, really? I made one that I would eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in terms of cooking, is this something that we you need to be having, you know, putting in the oven and keeping an eye on? Is it something you could even put on the barbecue? What would you recommend in terms of cooking techniques? I would definitely recommend putting in the oven. I mean, usually what I would say for any big cut like that is actually put it in the oven covered first with mm-hmm. tinfoil and then take the tinfoil off to just get the color that you want, that nice caramelized brown color on the outside. What about suggested sides? And what, what, when, you, when you think mm-hmm. about you know, creating this beautiful um, dish, how do you imagine it being served on our tables on Easter Sunday? Oh, I love sides. I live for sides. <laughs> sides, Christmas sides, Easter sides, all the sides. Um, do you know what? For me, I would definitely say a really nice potato, whether it's roasted or whether it's, you know, been steamed and has lots of herbs on the outside. Potatoes and lamb go so well for me. And then, of course, lots of nice roasted veggies, some root veggies as well. You know, maybe a fresh salad just to, you know, add a bit of freshness to the table. Why not? It's more there for nutrients than anything else because it kind of has to be, but still. Um, but definitely a potato on the side of that lamb needs to happen. Okay, right. I'm, I'm sold on the lamb. We've also got some lovely fish um, kind of new products in store as well. What are some of the highlights there? We do, we do. We have the honey paprika salmon fillets, which is going to be a nice, colorful one. Um, and it's got a bit of a kick from the paprika. It has a bit of chili flakes as well, but then it's all toned down with um, some citrus and some honey Um, and it's also got butter in it and it's a very sort of sweet savory spicy sour one and the color is so lovely because it's bright red and then it goes well with the nice orangey color of the the salmon filet as well Uh, we also have oh yes no i've just i've just um heard that there's some sea bass there and what i love about you have a sea bass so you do you don't we do, we do. Oh, gosh, yeah. I was like, you do? Please say you do. <laughs> no, no, we do. We have a sea bass, um, yeah. And that's with a citrus crumble. What, what, yes. what is a citrus crumble, Dima? So what I've done with this one is I've actually created a kind of loose crumb. It's made from panko breadcrumbs. It also has some lemon juice in there, um, a little bit of uh, chili and fresh thyme, but it has parmesan cheese in it. Um, and what, that, what happens with that is basically when you pop it in the oven, it kind of binds together and becomes one with the fish. Um, and it's just like a very sort of light and fresh and vibrant dish, uh, which can be interpreted in many different ways, whether it's kind of a fresh lunch alongside a nice healthy salad, or it can be a bit more indulgent for dinner with some, you know, roasted potatoes or some vegetables or something. Um, but it goes, it goes all around. I think it's, it's a winner for everyone. Now, what about the vegans? How, the vegans, how, uh, how do you find that as a, as a chef in terms of an interesting challenge or a bit frustrating? Be honest, Emma. Oh, definitely interesting challenge. I love a challenge. 
So with this, I mean, it was kind of floated as an idea and it was half-half, I think, in Sydney's HQ about who was for it and who was against it. Uh, so we gave it a go and it ended up being a big hit with everyone, whether they knew that it was vegan or not. Um, but the ingredients are really interesting. It's, it's got, uh, you know, plenty of the, the usual contenders. We have leeks, we have celery, we have tomatoes and mushrooms uh, and, of course, nuts. But the really wonderful thing about it is that it has lots of fresh, uh, fresh herbs as well, and it's all bound together with almond butter. That's my secret ingredient there. So it's very umami, it's very nutty, and it has a kind of meaty feeling as well. And then it's all encased in a vegan puff pastry made with margarine. So vegan pie, no vegans were hurt in the creation of the vegan pie. That's very exactly. good news. <laughs> You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're talking Easter food on the show this afternoon and in conversation with new product development chef Dina Hamati. She's been discussing some of the incredible dishes that she's brought to your shelves, that roast leg of lamb, the fish, the vegan pie, and now opening the pages of Nourish magazine, talking about some family-friendly Easter recipes to try with the whole family. Dima, thank you for being with us today. I have to say, this is this is my this is my happy place. You know, chocolate <laughs> eggs and rice crispy nests and a being messy and you know one one tiny egg for the recipe, one going into my mouth. Can you talk about some of the highlights from the pages of Nourish that have got you uh, got you excited? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the really wonderful things about Easter is how family friendly it is. Um, and I think one of the wonderful articles that we have in the magazine this month is uh, something really fun to do with the kids. It's a, a sort of more interactive Easter experience. So one of the recipes that we have is the Easter smash egg. And it's a very straightforward recipe, uh, just using kind of rice krispies and chocolate. But um, very fun for the kids because not only can they help to make the Easter eggs, but then they can afterwards smash them up. And inside there's Cadbury mini eggs. Very colourful, very fun, and sort of a treat for everyone. A really big one to do with the kids, I think. I have to say, the choice of eggs and mini eggs in store is driving me to absolute distraction right now. I'm like, no, Helen, no, Helen, wait, wait. And then I'm worried about waiting too long and everything being sold out. So I think I might need to buy eggs and hide them not just from the kids but but definitely from myself um now we're in spring even though dubai spring is a bit different to perhaps what many people might have grown up with so this can Mm -hmm. mean lovely spring fresh veggies you know talk about leeks earlier and carrots and now i love a carrot cake you're doing a bit of a few interesting twists on carrots in a in a sweet form in ice lollies what on earth is this about So carrot cake ice cream lollies, also one to do with the kids, but also to try and sneak carrots into their diet as well. It's a nice and simple, straightforward one because it just uses those fun ice lolly molds, you know. Mm. Um, And it's dairy-based, it's creamy and milky, and then, you know, lots of nice sort of warming spices like nutmeg and ground cloves goes so well with carrots. Um, So that's the carrot cake ice cream lollies, and very, very cute and, and sort of nice and refreshing as well because as you said spring in Dubai is not quite the same as spring elsewhere. Spring has definitely sprung as my the 34 degree on my car told me yesterday. Um, (laughs) And I think about Easter Sunday we do think about that kind of showcase lamb dish often but why not start it a little bit earlier you know an Easter egg hunt in the morning and then some pancakes and you've done pancakes with a bit of a twist as well. 
Yeah, we have the carrot pancakes with spiced almond butter also featured in, in this month's magazine. Um, and that one's also a little bit lighter as well. It uses apple sauce or apple puree instead of sugar and has dates as well. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's cute because obviously, you know, you can, you can make the pancake uh, nice and round, but then you can also use a Easter-shaped cookie cutter to cut it out into maybe a rabbit or a bunny or an egg or something that's bunny a little bit more... pancakes, yes. Exactly, Easter fun. Sold. Now, we've got a bit of a problem in our house in that whenever me and my husband go shopping, we buy bananas just like endlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we end up having way, way, way too many. And this has ended up in doing a lot of banana bread. And we've started grating carrots into it as well. Um, nice yeah I mean I say this to someone who hates bananas but I I can the kids love them Um, but muffins I thought might be quite a nice way of doing this in the future and you've actually got some baby carrot muffins with a bit of a citrus idea going on talk us through that yeah absolutely so we have uh, the carrot muffins uh, and then it's also using it's actually got tinned pineapple but you know what why not just throw in yeah why not throw in some some bananas in there as well I think you could probably use them instead of uh, using a lot of the sugar it definitely adds the moisture in this one is nice because it has a lemon and lebanet icing so it's a nice very it's very straightforward but it's just basically lebanet mixed with lemon and a little bit of icing sugar and and that essentially makes a lovely frosting as anyone who makes cheesecake knows oh that sounds great so sorry talk us through that frosting again because that sounded super simple so it's basically just lebanon with a little bit of lemon and icing sugar all mixed oh. up. And, it's, and yeah, it's, it's just nice and creamy and refreshing and adding that citrus in there. Already lebanon is quite acidic, but then adding the citrus in just takes it to a whole other level. Love a bit of lebanon. I have it most mornings and it's, it's, it's actually so good for you in terms of gut health, you know, protein in there. Mm. So we're going to call these healthy. Okay, Dima, I'm just going to stick we will. We'll like call a Helen Farmer health stamp from the baby methods. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so, so much. What are your food plans for over the weekend? Are you cooking? Are you going out? What are you doing? Oh, well, we have some fun iftars lined up, actually. Mm. Uh, there's a really great one in Altacal Avenue um, uh, at Cave. If anyone knows Haya's Kitchen, mm-hmm. she's a wonderful Palestinian chef. She's making some really wonderful things this weekend. Uh, and then I have a very intimate iftar with some friends uh, on Sunday evening. Lots of nice iftars coming up. There are some really lovely ones. I I could go every single night, but I try to just choose maybe three or four. Me too. That's I really know, me hard. too. I'm going to try and get, get to the Pinch Gourmet one because I always think their food's amazing. Oh, I went last week. Oh, how was it? It was wonderful, wonderful. Love it. The, great. The, he's, he's great. Elias is wonderful. He's an amazing, amazing guy. And he if he's mm-hmm. taken... Uh, that cookie off the dessert menu I'm going to have to have some serious words you just like this it's giant it's there don't worry okay, fine it's there I will make a booking Dima thank you so so much for your time today and all that hard work that's been happening behind the scenes we'd love to catch up again and just yeah, learn a little bit more about what you've been working away on have a great weekend and Ramadan Kareem thanks you too Ramadan Kareem bye bye you're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8 We are getting you inspired for getting out and about over the weekend and I always love your recommendations so please do send them in. Where are you going? Have you been anywhere recently that you think is well worth a mention? A bit of of love on the radio today. Don't be shy. Share share your recommendations. Although I can't promise you will be able to get a table next time. Joining us to share hers is global culinary traveller and food enthusiast Pallavi Sanctani. She's joining us live as we talk about travelling the world for food and what's happening on our doorstep as well. Pallavi, how are you? 
I'm good. How are you? I am hungry now after all of this talk about food, and I suspect you're not going to help this situation. Now, as I said, you, no, <laughs> you travel the world in search of the best food from, you know, Michelin starred restaurants, holes in the wall, you know, street food to the finest of dining. But to put you on the spot, have you got a favourite city for eating? Oh, oh, that's. That is putting me in the spot mm-hmm. because it's like Southeast Joys. So I love I love San Sebastian in Spain. It's a foodie's paradise. Uh, I also love Japan as a concept, but I've never been. And it's been cancelled like four times mm. due to the pandemic for me. So I, I think Japan would be something that I would put on top of my list. And, uh, you know, a great find with Portugal, because I don't think enough people talk about the Portuguese food and hospitality. Uh, and Lisbon and Porto have some fantastic food and a lot of great chefs. Well, I'm in the process of hopefully going to Portugal in the summer. I'm planning that. So expect me to be sliding into your DMs asking for some recommendations. Some, some, some I city, have a list some... ready for you. Oh, you superstar. Thank you, love. Now, let's talk a little bit about what's trending. Sustainability, we have seen, you know, meat-free alternatives exploding. You know, the shelves of Spinney's absolutely, you know, groaning with all sorts of different products to try at home. But what about in the world of restaurants? Are we seeing meat-free there as well? Yes, and more so in the fine dining world. Mm. So, like you mentioned, I like to travel and eat. And it has been a great sort of phenomenon to see this happening, especially since the pandemic. Uh, 11 Madison Park in New York, which is which was rated the world's best restaurant in 2017, uh, decided to go completely meat-free. So their menu as of last year is absolutely no meat, all vegetables and seafood only. And... At the point, there was a lot of talk uh, and commotion about how this is just a trend and, you know, it'll die down. Uh, And then you come to this year and Geranium, which is the world's second best restaurant currently, uh, went completely meat-free. I actually was lucky enough to try their new meat-free menu last month. And um, I realized that you don't feel the lack of meat, right? It's it's still seafood and there's a lot of vegetarian options. And... uh, If you compare that to, uh, uh, you know, any other uh, restaurants in that region as well. So in Scandinavia, for example, there's Noma, which Mm -hmm. is the world's number one restaurant. They have a completely dedicated vegetable season. So from in the summer, it's just purely a 15 plus course vegetarian menu. Um, So it's not just a trend, you know, it is something that people are moving to globally, becoming more conscious, the connection to nature, the sustainability element that goes with it, and just eating better. What about here in Dubai? We just had Chef Vikas Khanas talking about his new book where he's having a real focus on vegetarian cooking because that's what he found himself doing for friends during the pandemic. You know, going back to, you know, his Indian roots where parents and grandparents were meat free. What are we seeing on the Dubai dining scene? And is that something that's being embraced by Indian restaurants here? Absolutely. So firstly, I love Vikas. He's a great chef. Uh, I really enjoy going to his restaurants. And like you rightly said, it is uh, in Indian dining. My, my mom is a vegetarian, right? And she's never eaten meat in her life. And um, I wanted to always find a place to take her. So closer to home, we have Avtara, which is the new concept by the Tresen team. And it's a 15-course pure vegetarian menu, no onions, no garlic. Um, and that's somewhere I can finally take my mother. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so this is I think closer to home as well. People are moving not only towards the casual upscale vegetarian options, but even in fine dining, doing an entire degustation that is vegetarian is uh, you know quite a strong uh, offering. And it, I was at Tresen's studio last night, and the last main course or the final main course was also vegetarian, which I think is a very bold decision to make mm-hmm. as a restaurant. What about the bottom line? You know, we know that meat can be very expensive. Does this mean we could be paying less in fine dining if it's a purely meat-free menu? Yes. I mean, if you look at Aftara, it's uh, 300 plus plus, so it adds up to about 370 dirhams per person, which when you look at 15 courses is great value for money. Gladys and Maria, the chef there, Rahul Rana, yeah. is, is very well-trained in, you know, Indian food and he's trained with from Tresen. So, so it's a great team and it's brilliant food and great value for money. We love your recommendation, Pallavi. We love everyone's listening as well. We've had shout outs for calamari um, and we've had uh, Isbea saying a public at Madnat Jamira. And actually, I've been desperate to go there because apparently they do a very good fondue, which is appearing on quite a few people's lists yes. of their favourite Their cheese food. fondue is amazing. Now, I put you on the spot earlier asking you about your favourite foodie city and Pallavi, you can't win this, I'm afraid, because you're a friend of the show. But we've got a 500 dirham voucher up for grabs this afternoon for people listening today to spend in spinnies. We just need to know your food heaven and your food hell, the thumbs up and the thumbs down. What is it for you? Is there something that you absolutely love and something that you cannot stand, Pallavi? Something that I absolutely love is any sort of good food, whether it's in a fine dining setting, whether it's down in an alleyway, a shawarma shop, a chat shop. Uh, I'm going to India next month and I'm very excited to go eat in all the Delhi hotspots of, you know, snacks and uh, street joints. Uh, so for me, it's I'm just constantly on the hunt for good food and that just makes me happy. <laughs> and what about, um, and what what about if, the food where if I was to say, here's 10,000 dirhams, but you have to eat a whole plate of that, and you would just say, no chance, not happening. I have not come across anything like that yet because I've eaten <gasps> everything you can imagine. Have you yeah? really? I've eaten ants and worms and uh, uh, reindeer hearts. And I know this is going to scandalize so many people because my friend told me you ate Rudolph. <laughs> oh, no, poor Rudolph. Okay, well, I'm uh, impressed. I'm impressed. My dad's a bit like that. And I think kind of a certain generation of Brits is like that kind of post-war generation where you've been through rations and you're just grateful to have anything. My dad will eat anything but he really hates tomato soup it's the most random thing Um, let's head to some food news locally we've had Time Out Market just celebrating its first anniversary and adding some new places to its roster as well for anyone who hasn't been to Time Out Market in Sukal Baha how do you describe it I've been to Time Out Market multiple times. It's my go-to spot because it has so many options and some of my favorite chefs and offerings. They just reopened today with Matar. Hatam is back with his amazing uh, pastrami sandwiches and brisket. Mm. And they got the Lighthouse guys, uh, Lana Lusa, um, and I forget. Boon Coffee. They've got Boon Coffee. Boon Coffee. Yeah. Yes. Some of the best caffeine in town. 
It's, yes. I think, in, in honesty, it, it's a real problem solver for lots of people here, whether you're a resident or a visitor. You know, I've been with the family and my kids got, you know, chicken burgers from Pickle. My husband went to Hatamata and got a, a, his brisket. I went to BB and had my favourite Brussels sprouts from bow. there and the bow. So you can kind of mix and match. They've also got the editor's table, which I haven't tried yet, where you haven't got to be going to different places. They'll, they'll do it for you. So a really, really interesting one. But it is also... A, a bit of a movement here to be talking about food hall concepts. I'm not talking food courts, but really kind of curated spaces of one cuisine or multiple brands. What else is happening around town on that front? I think Time Out Market set a great precedent. A lot of places opened and shut before that. And Time Out Market came in and said, look, this can work if you do it right. And I think uh, one of the main reasons it did work was because they promoted local homegrown concepts. Um, and so recently, Neighborhood Food Hall opened in Motor City, which I've already been to three times. <laughs> and <laughs> No guilt. <laughs> and uh, they have uh, some great local joints uh, like Maru Udon, High Joint, uh, Sausage Fabrique. And so it's a combination of 10 plus. Uh, spots and you can mix and match uh, and I love that right because I go with my friends they're indecisive they, mm-hmm. they can never you know confirm one single cuisine or spot so this is what we do and then there's social district on the palm that Kitopi just opened in, very interestingly and uh, they have brands like Zarub and uh, Slider Spot and uh, Insanity Pizzas so that that concept clearly is working right now it's about where people go and what are the kind of offerings in each of these food halls so there mm-hmm. are other ones like Depachika at the palm as well and then uh tom arno from tom and search fame is opening one at the ifc called the guild later this year and it's a massive project it's, i have to say i've seen some of the drawings of this space it is enormous i actually bumped into tom um a few weeks ago at the garden center which has just kind of moved down one building on shakeside road and i'd gone in going i hope they've still got a coffee shop and it's actually his he was there um it's called harvest and co and it was i mean honestly some of the best grilled sandwiches i've seen but they're doing a big push on porridge and you know gluten-free and it was it was really really fantastic he's also going to be opening something on the palm later this year which i think is going to be like a seafood beach club pool club kind of based around like a kind of byron bay bathing feel so good to hear that there's still still lots happening um now i can't have you on without talking about some special iftars because i know that you are thinking very carefully about how you spend your evenings have you been to any iftars yet that you think are worth shouting about and anything we need to book before they sell out honestly i would suggest booking an Supper club iftars. Ooh, so, I like that idea. Go on. Anything special? Uh, well, a lot of the supper clubs are doing evening concepts and iftar concepts. So I'll give a shout out to my, like the ones that I think are hot and trending right now. Uh, and you must get into because they have what, eight spots. Um, and there are some that are going to open soon. So uh, that, that's another element, you know, so Trotsky. Uh, so, so I'll tell you what, what is happening right now. There are chefs who are trained in kitchens, yeah, and, and they are choosing to go do supper clubs instead of opening full-time restaurants. 
which I think just allows them to be a little more creative mm-hmm. and uh, do menus that are exciting. So, so there's Trotsky, there's Adrian who does Inked, uh, there's Opposite who's uh, AJ Sav on uh, Instagram. He's starting a new supper club, uh, which is Middle Eastern meets Southeast Asian food. And that's, again, just so very interesting to me. So I would put my money into going into these places, right? And then there are like self-taught cooks who have also started their supper clubs like the Curry Bureau, oh. uh, Salama, who does uh, Birria lamb tacos to die for, um, and then Girl and the Goose. So a lot of these, and I'm giving a shout out to all these homegrown concepts is because they're doing exciting things. And and for me, um, and I'm going to partly called controversial statement, I, I'm not a big fan of buffets. Yeah? So I don't like going to an iftar buffet uh, because personally, I just think if I can eat two courses and three courses and be happy with it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need this 50 dish sort of array. Um, I'm with you. And I think, you know, obviously for kind of pandemic purposes, we saw a big move away from buffets over the last couple of years. But I honestly think from a food waste point of view as well, it's something that a lot of places, whether it's, a you know, a brunch at the weekend or an iftar in the evening, could really do with a significant rethink. So I definitely think you're uh, you're onto something there from from a creativity point of view, but but also from a sustainability stance as well. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going, to, actually, you were talking about Jumeirah al Qasr, right? I'm going there for Iftar next week at Al Nafura. Uh, so I'm excited to try that out because it's Middle Eastern. It's on the table, not a buffet. It's a set course. Uh, so I think that is another, you know, I, I would go for, I would go for concepts that are not buffets and that are more on the table, more homey sharing kind of uh, feel rather than, you know, just food in front of you well, <laughs> that could go to waste. Before I let you get back to your weekend, where are you going this weekend? What's on your list? Oh my God. So I just went to Oceano to try Gregoire's new menu, which was fantastic, by the way. And I was at Tresen Studio last night. Um, I'm going to try the Fairmont Iftar today. I'm going back to Neighborhood Food Hall <laughs> over the weekend. Uh, I, I'm not joking, right? Like I love supporting local concepts. Honestly, if I look at my calendar, so I have Neighborhood Food Hall, I have Fairmont, I'm going to Demon Duck uh, at Caesar's Palace, uh, which I heard good things about. Um, and I'm going back to Orfali Bros Bistro, which is one of my favorite casual spots in the city. Get your stretchy trousers ready. Thank you so, so much. It's lovely to hear about you talking about some places that are completely new to me and I'm sure to some people listening today, but also celebrating some favourites as well. Palavi, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate your insights and happy eating over the weekend. <laughs> Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.